Richmond Community Hospital, the centerpiece of a New York Times investigation published today, it's owned by Bon Secours. Former and current employees told the Times it's an example of putting profits over patients. In a statement, Bon Secours says they've invested millions into Richmond Community Hospital through programs and renovations. They say in part, quote, to suggest that we don't operate in full support of our important mission is without merit and we take issue with such baseless allegations. Today, we continue to build on the legacy of our founding congregation through our commitment to addressing health disparities. Hello, comrades. It's episode 202 of This Machine Kills, your premium episode for this week. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. Before we get to the, the real meat and potatoes of this episode, where, you know, so, all right, we, we had that, we just had that amazing uh, episode with B and Artie, the uh, authors of Health Communism. You know, we talked a lot about different concepts and analyses uh, and arguments and so on that, sh that, that structure their, their book. We didn't really get to go in depth into some of their specific case studies that they've got in the book that really ground uh, this stuff in concrete analysis. They've got a really fucking good historical case study of the Socialist Patients Collective uh, from Germany. You know, we kind of mentioned some of that at the end. So we thought, there, you know, we could have talked to them for so much longer. There's a lot in that book to get to. Uh, so we thought, let's, let's spend an episode going through some case studies, right? Like, let's, let's put some, some, uh, some concrete on our, you know, at times abstract analysis of, you know, extractive abandonment, surplus populations and stuff, stuff like that. You know, we won't ape anything from their book because it's like, it's never ending. It's nonstop. It's still happening. You know, it's not hard to find, uh, reporting or articles or, you know, other case studies, uh, about, these kinds of political economic dynamics happening all over the place, especially the U.S., which is an absolute wasteland. Uh, it's the heart of extractive abandonment of the production of surplus populations. You know, just just a little searching, and we found a a, a slew uh, a, a, of of articles that we could talk about. You know, there's hospitals. You know, ProPublica has a, a, a really good investigation that just came out like last week about a hospital in Chicago's South Side that has a lot of deaths linked to just neglect, uh, underfunding, under resourced, uh, of, you know, of 
largely predominantly black and poor populations in Chicago's South Side. There's similar articles that I have found, you know, in Florida, in California, in Ohio, right? Like this shit is just all over the place. Uh, it seems to be the way business is done in the healthcare industry, especially in the U.S., um, where it is so, so hyper profit oriented and extractive and exploitative in every single way. And then I came across a tweet by Libby Watson, who does, uh, covers the healthcare industry, you know, used to have a Substack doing really good reporting on all of this. And, and, and Libby tweeted out, uh, some excerpts from a recent New York Times article and <laughs> her tweet was is just new guy who was going to hell just dropped. Right. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm peaked. My interest <laughs> is peaked. Uh so started looking at these excerpts, right? And it's like, you know, this this guy, John M. Starcher Jr., uh, who is what a fucking name. You already know he's about to do some somehow not illegal stuff with that sort of name. All right. This man has a table of lawyers around him, I'm sure. Uh, under under the the laws of men, not illegal. Under the laws of God, <laughs> highly illegal. I'm going to hell. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and and, and so who is John M. Starcher Jr.? Well, he he is the. That's an Ayn Rand chief. novel right there. <laughs> that is some that is some Ayn Rand Galt Gulch name ass name for sure. Uh, you got John Gull, you got Howard Rourke, and you got uh, uh, John M. Starcher Jr. <laughs> just, he just... is the chief executive of Bon Secours. Uh, well, okay, what is Bon Secours? Um, and I know it's French, but but this is an English, uh, an American company, so you know it's pronounced Bon Secours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that is a... Uh, Bon Secours Mercy Health is, according to John M. Starcher's biography, uh, you know, on his like LinkedIn or, or no, on the company's website, it is a provider of healthcare solutions and services and one of the largest health systems in the U.S. and Ireland. In other words, it's a uh, a chain of of hospitals. That's what it is, right? They operate more than 1,200, as they put it, sites of care in seven states in the U.S. and in five cities in the Republic of Ireland. Um, this is some real uh, sons of anarchy shit. We're going to Ireland for, for, for a season, apparently. <laughs> 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 but, uh, all right, so... Hospital chain. I mean, one that 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 sounds like a thing that shouldn't exist, anyways. I, why is right, there a fucking? Yes. <laughs> why is there? Why are there? Why is there one company that owns over twelve hundred hospitals or 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 and clinics and other quote unquote sites of care across the U.S. I don't know, Jason. Do you hate scaling up uh, operations for efficiency and lowering costs so that they can negotiate <laughs> at bulk for drugs for? Equipment and labor costs. I mean, do you hate that? I was gonna say. Well, I know, I know, I know a guy who absolutely does not hate that at all. Uh, John M. Starcher Jr. 
Bon Secours Mercy Health has a net operating revenue of approximately $11 billion. And John M. Starcher Jr. made in 2020 uh, $6 million um, as the CEO of this hospital chain. Now that, that to provide good healthcare solutions and services to live up to the uh, the mission of Jesus Christ, to be sure, because this is a Christian, uh, a Catholic, I believe even maybe even a Catholic chain of hospitals, right? So, so for to them, this is this is like you know their spokespeople explicitly say that they are living up to the name of Jesus Christ uh, in in when they are you know in their service that they provide to society, you know. But but to make six million dollars as a CEO and to have some revenue uh, totaling eleven billion dollars, that must be a lot of efficiency in care that you are providing to the the poor and the underserved. Um, you know, and they also operate a a, a whole chain of like nonprofit uh, hospitals in low income and poor and underserved communities. So, man, I can't imagine the levels of efficiency that they've got going on here where they can afford to live up to the name and and teachings of Jesus Christ and also make $11 billion in revenue. uh, That's capitalist excellency. Catholics are about their capitalism. They're the one of the single largest holders of land in the world right now. There's so many uh, cities that have property that's owned by the Catholic Church. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of that profit is going back to the Catholic Church, which is pretty disgusting. It's actually going back to God. I do. I want you to. Yeah, in the forms of tithes. Yeah, when when you put when you put that when you put that twenty dollar bill in the offering plate, that's going directly into God's bank account. That's like Venmoing God. That's what that is. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, a Venmo is just a prayer, you know, Um, on a on a platform. Um, You got to drop more than twenty bucks to get a return. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. Um. I, you know, I think this is really good because there's a lot going on here with this dude. Um, and the excerpts that Libby points out, and as we'll unveil in, the, in, in diving into this, right, there's a lot of really interesting things going on. There's the Catholic connection. How did this hospital that was started by Catholic nuns become this massive sprawling complex? Um, why is it so profitable when, as you start to realize, it's not actually providing you know, goods and it's not providing services really. Right. Or it is, but in a way that wouldn't make me think this is the most profitable hospital, or this is one of the most profitable hospital chains, um, that this is just like, uh, private equity squeezing from the husk of something. Uh, but through the magic of capitalism, uh, through, uh, you know, Catholic grift, or, or grit, I should say, um, not grift, um, and a lot of money, and uh, a little savvy exploitation of legal innovation. Um, our friend, uh, our list, you know, our, our our patron saint, uh, John Jacob Jacobheimer Smith. Uh, junior <laughs> his name is my name too. <laughs> yeah, he's um, <laughs> he's figured out 
a way to make millions of dollars off healthcare while denying it really to people. Um, and he, degrading has, he has the figured out how community. to make, uh, he has figured out how to make a hospital in one of the, uh, uh, uh poorest neighborhoods in Richmond, Virginia, um, turn a hundred million dollars in profit. That's like turning water. Yo, Jesus turned water into wine. My man turned uh, a clinic ringed by public housing projects into a hundred million dollars a year. That's what He's he did. Squeezing water from a rock. You know, <laughs> it's a miracle. Um, it, it's it's also demonic, uh, as we'll get into here. Um, and he's going to hell. And when you see him, when we because we're all going to hell, when we see him, it's on site immediately. Mm-hmm. Hands up. Where do we want to start with this beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, essay? And, uh, you know, warning to listeners, you should read along with us. It will make your blood boil. Yeah. Yeah. Take your blood pressure medicine. <laughs> take some beta yes. blockers right now before listening to the rest of this episode. Because we are, we, in our, in our search for a, a, a nice case study or two or three to talk about, you know, the production of surplus populations and, you know, for the purpose of extractive abandonment, we have found the ultimate perfect case study of this uh, in the, in the, uh, the, this New York Times article, all right? So all of this stuff we're talking about with John M. Starcher, Bon Sakors, all this stuff, it's a, a, a very long and, and very uh, well-investigated uh, piece in the New York Times that just came out recently. Um, and so we'll have a link to all this in the episode description, of course, but the, the piece is called How a Hospital Chain Used a Poor Neighborhood to Turn Huge Profits. And we're just, we're going to just walk our, walk our way, talk our way through this article because goddamn, uh, does it absolutely exemplify everything we talked about with Artie and B, uh, everything they wrote in their book and, our story begins in in Richmond, Virginia, and particularly the uh, a hospital called Richmond Community Hospital. Uh, the, now, this hospital is, uh, you know, a, as I mentioned before, it's ringed by public housing projects. It's in one of the poorest neighborhoods uh, in Richmond. Uh, and already a uh, very, you know, very black city, and it's in a uh, one of the most um, black neighborhoods in Richmond, um, and also a neighborhood that is uh, notoriously underserved. Uh, I believe does you know, a, a poor neighborhood, uh, you know, housing projects, but also you know, abandoned largely by the city in turn, you know, not developed. Uh, you know, although this article, as we'll get into, mentions that real estate developers have started having their eyes set on this on this neighborhood, you know, which is not a good sign, right? Because that doesn't mean it's going to help the people living in the neighborhood. It's just going to begin the process of pushing them out, but. Already, right? So we're you know, this hospital, Richmond Community, has been uh, falling apart essentially since Bon Secours bought it, right? And so you know, for example, in 2017, they had to close their ICU, right? No intensive care unit. That doesn't really sound like a hospital. No, you know, and, and along with that, uh, it nor does it have a 
uh, a kidney or lung specialist or a maternity ward. Uh, its MRI machine frequently breaks and was out of service for seven weeks this past summer. Uh, you know, uh, standard tools like an, like an otoscope, a device used to inspect the ear canal, are often hard to come by. You know, so th this is truly like a... Uh, all right, I just got done playing back-to-back uh, -back part one and part two of The Last of Us, right? Uh, great fucking games. I was late to them, but oh my God. But the, the way this hospital sounds is it sounds like a hospital in The Last of Us where it's like already been completely stripped of all the resources. Uh, you know, it's it all, all the machinery is broken. Uh, it looks, you know, the way it's described is it sounds post-post-apocalyptic, post right? Like we're talking like, you know, 10, 15 years after the apocalypse has happened and it's already been stripped. That's what it sounds like this hospital is essentially trying to, trying to serve people that live in this community, um, uh, you know, under those uh, pretenses. You know, I'll, I'll skip... Skipping down to the end a little bit, just because it's such a good uh, quote that really kind of sets the scene here, is that um, uh, the New York Times talked to uh, a woman named uh, Kristen uh, Schoenman, who, uh, as, they, as they described, began her career as a physician assistant at Bon Secours in 2014 and left in 2019. You know, said she had once confided in a doctor that she was not learning proper medical care while, you know, while working at Richmond Community Hospital. He's, quote, he said to me, and this will always stick with me, you're not learning medicine, you're learning disaster medicine. So, I mean, that's what this neighborhood, that's what this hospital uh, owned, you know, bought up by this massive fucking chain of hospitals. That's what the context here is, right? Is that this is post-post-disaster uh, you know, healthcare that, that's, that people are trying their hardest, you know, not coming at the workers at this hospital whatsoever, coming at the owner, the company that owns it. And these people are trying their hardest to serve uh, this community in Richmond with everything working against them, right? That's the context of this hospital. You know, why is it that a hospital in in a really poor neighborhood actually isn't able to to service people in the community? What's blocking it? You know, like some of the overarching questions to to keep in mind here, right? I think also, you know, the 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 paper, the um the story opens up with like a really interesting anecdote you know, kind of talking about or setting the stage for a lack of supplies where like someone came in for an emergency and the ICU unit was closed. So they couldn't even get septic shock treated, right. And had to be transported to another hospital, uh, but eventually died because of the delay. Right. So, you know, in the, in, in the section where, you know, the times kind of, you know, lays this picture that we've been talking about where it's ringed by these housing projects you're talking about how it's strapped down, like you said, in The Last of Us, like how they don't have a lot of the basic sort of doctors you would expect or specialists that you would ex expect or departments. I mean, these are also trends that we're seeing in other hospitals across the country, right? One thing I was reading about, um, you know, when you shared Libby's um, tweet about it was this uptick, this trend in converting 
emergency departments into freestanding ones that don't actually provide a lot of um, that don't that don't actually aren't actually required to actually uh, have these specialists you know present right. And you know, there's just one study. It's called uh, "The Impact of Conversion from an Urgent Care Center to a Freestanding Emergency Department on Population on Patient Population Conditions Managed and Reimbursement." And one of the really interesting results here is that if you took an emergency center and you converted it to a freestanding emergency department, right, or you took this urgent care and you turned it into that, you know, what you would see is you wouldn't really see a change in the composition of conditions or the outcomes. What you would see, though, is a massive, you'd see a reduction in uh, patient volume, but an increase in reimbursement per visit, right? And so you have re- median reimbursement at three facilities. Facility A goes from 148 to $2,153. Facility B goes from $137 to $1,466. Facility C goes from $131 to $1,925. And as a result, the revenue at all these facilities increases, right? Facility A, despite that massive jump in reimbursement per visit from its patients, saw its revenue only increase by about $100,000 from $1.3 million to $1.4 million. Facility B saw its revenue increase from nearly $900,000 to $4.2 million. And Facility C saw its revenues increase from $630,000 to $8.4 million, right? So one immediate thing you notice here is that getting rid of these specialists might be presented as a way to streamline care, to reduce impediments to care, or reduce delays in getting it, right, or optimize labor. I don't know whatever fucking rationale that they'll give. But when you actually look at how the cost of care goes up, the ability of people to access the care goes down, right, Um and the revenue of the facility ends up going up. This, again, just squeezing squeezing water um, from a stone, right? And I think that this is like more or less one trend to think of and keep in mind that's driving you know a lot of the decisions and, and moves here. It's market logic instead of actually what's going to be best for the patients, you know, uh, because healthcare is not being thought of as you know, a right that people should deserve so that they can, you know, you know, live lives impeded by whatever might be bothering them. But, you know, as a, as a way, as a profit model, right? Where, okay, well, what's the way in which we can minimize care, but expand the ways in which we can extract the money from people with minimal services, right? If we don't have the tools to do cartherizations, how can we still make money off of people if they come in and they need one? If we don't have the tools, you know, if we don't have the abilities to repair MRI machines, if we don't have the ability to treat septic shock, how are we still going to make money off of people when they come in, right? Um, and that's, uh, you know, a core thread through a lot of this, through this hollowed out um, hospital that is in, you know, one of the poorest neighborhoods, but making $100 million a year, making it the highest profit margins of any hospital in Virginia, right? And as as... Times kind of opens up, right? They write, the secret to its success lies with a federal program that allows clinics in impoverished neighborhoods to buy prescription drugs at steep discounts, charge insurers full price, and pocket the difference. The vast majority of Richmond communities' profits come from the program, said two former executives who were familiar with the hospital's finances and request anonymity because they still work in the healthcare industry. 
The drug program was created with the intention that hospitals would reinvest the windfalls into their facilities, improving care for patients, for poor patients, but Bon Secures, founded by Roman Catholic nuns more than a century ago, has been slashing services at Richmond community while investing in the city's wealthier white neighborhoods, according to more than 20 former executives, doctors, and nurses. Bon Secures was basically laundering money through this poor hospital to its wealthy outposts. Uh, said Dr. Lucas English, who worked in Richmond Community's emergency department until 2018. It was all about profits. I mean, this is a big thing here as well that as we'll dig into, it's not only the the extractive abandonment of, you know, of, of, this community of the, you know, the, the, the Richmond community neighborhood, right. Uh, that has been labeled as and treated as surplus by this hospital chain. It's not only that extraction, it is the redistribution of that wealth directly into like ultra luxurious, uh, hospital complexes in the white wealthy neighborhoods in Richmond, um, on top of Bon Secours is engaging in luxury real estate development. You know, we're going to get into all of this as, uh, but I think that's really crucial here is that that extraction and abandonment of the surp of, of surplus populations is not just done in a vacuum. It is always done in relation to somebody is doing that extraction. Somebody is enjoying all of that profit and value that they're taking from the surplus, that they are benefiting through creating processes and institutions of abandonment of the surplus population. Somebody is on the receiving end of this misery and somebody else is on the receiving end of all the profit generated from that misery. And I mean, this, this article, this case study, this fucking hospital chain, uh, is a perfect example of literally just, you know, a vampire, right? Like, like they are, they are sucking the blood out of the, out of Richmond community hospital, um, and making themselves stronger by doing so. When, you know, when people say we need to dismantle white supremacy, this is another facet of that. Pretty much white wealth coming into a black community and extracting every everything they can from that community on the, and that means like providing subpar health care it means the difference on the drug prices that they could be passing on to the people there they're not and they're hoping by doing that that community that exists there will go away so they can just you know bulldoze it and build something more i mean you guys weren't lying like reading this article just makes your blood boil because there's so many levels of just like fucking awfulness to this mm-hmm. you know and 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 it's one of those situations where yeah like yeah this is happening in richmond yeah this is happening in chicago guess what motherfuckers this is gonna happen to you at some point they're gonna squeeze every bit they can these private equity companies that buy up these hospital chains they're gonna start doing it everywhere well, and they, they already are. And I want to dig in. I actually, I want to jump down, uh, like pretty, like to pretty far down the article to where they explain this lucrative drug program in more depth, right? Because I think it's, I, I think it's worth 
keeping this in mind, digging into how this drug program works before we get back to uh, bond secours and its, you know, redistribution uh, of, of all the, the profit it's making from Richmond Community Hospital into its, uh, you know, white wealthier neighborhoods and luxury developments and, and blah, blah, blah. I do also want to say real quick, you know, you know, they say the drug program was created with the intention that hospitals would reinvest the windfalls into their facilities, improving care for poor patients, right? I want to call bullshit on that. Uh, this program, as we'll get into, is working exactly as it was designed. It was created with that political reasoning, uh, for I, you know, I 100% believe that, and maybe some naive idealist believed the drug program was created with that intention, but this program is operating exactly as it was designed. I'm not a gambling man, but I would put money that the lawyers that work for uh, Bond Secure make more than the CEO does because they're able to find all those fun little loopholes. Well, and 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 above them are the lobbyists, right? I'm 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 looking at my uh, at my at, a, at my little book right now and saying, oh, oh, health, the lobbyists for healthcare industry is some spend some of the most money of any other industry uh, for, for you know in the United States on on a. Uh, passing laws and influencing law that man what a weird coincidence that the government would pass a law known as so this laws this program is called 340b right this is the one that uh you know allows hospitals that uh serve low income communities to buy drugs from pharmaceutical companies at deep, deep discounts, but then charge insurers the uh, the same amount that they would at you know at normal cost, right? Um, the, as the as the New York Times article uh, points out, right, when Bonsacors bought Richmond Community, the hospital served predominantly poor patients who were either uninsured or covered through Medicaid. Um, you know, which of course reimburses hospitals at lower rates than private insurance does, with, you know, which also is another real kind of mark in their cap that they've been able to squeeze a hundred million dollars out of profit largely through billing Medicaid, right? Not just not billing like your primo lux private insurance plan, but you know, billing Medicaid. Um, and, and so. Uh, the the Bonsacors, in large part, some of this is speculation, but but we can speculate based on their actions that one reason why they bought Richmond Community Hospital was so that they could take advantage of this 340B program, this drug buying program, right? Because as the uh, New York Times writes, Bonsacor turned the hospital's poverty into an asset. This is exactly what B and Artie are talking about in health communism, right? This is what extractive abandonment is, is that it's not just that the, the surplus populations are immiserated by capitalism. It's that they are assetized by capitalism. If, you know, the, the, the poverty becomes a financial asset. 
And here, the way it works is with this federal program, it was created in the 1990s uh, to give a financial boost to nonprofit hospitals and clinics that serve low-income communities, which is also why I'm calling... Well, another reason I'm calling bullshit on this as the intention is that it was created in the 1990s, the height of... Uh, welfare reform, you know, as Bill Clinton put it right, we are going to end welfare as you know it. Uh, you know, the resurgence of workfare, the entire discourse around welfare queens and all of that bullshit, you know, the stuff we talked about around the eugenics and debt burden of the surplus populations, a lot of that has its, if it, if, you know, not, not its basis, but, uh, of, you know, gasoline on the fire. Um, in the 90s and around, you know, especially with the third way Democrats, Bill Clinton, uh, his presidency, you know, all of the reforms on welfare that are part and parcel of the 90s. You know, the fact that this drug buying program came out of the 90s as well. This is this is peak third way neoliberal approach to how do how do we uh, improve care for uh, low-income and underserved communities? Is it through expanding Medicare and Medicaid? Is it through, uh, you know, giving, just giving people health care? Is it through building government-owned hospitals and these kinds of, no, no, the way to do it is through a uh, uh, a very wonky policy designed to provide the market with incentives. Look, I don't know who was in the room when this program was drafted and written. I don't know whose pen was on paper, but hand to God, uh, I swear that there were lobbyists and lawyers for the healthcare industry, uh, you know, with their with their fingerprints all over it. What the the program does, right, is uh, allows hospitals, as we've mentioned, right, to buy drugs from manufacturers at a discount, which amounts to roughly half the average sales price. And then the hospitals are allowed to charge patients insurers a more a much higher price for the uh, for the same drugs, right? So just as an example, right. Richmond, thanks to this pro this federal program, Richmond Community Hospital can buy a vial of Keytruda, a cancer drug, at the discounted price of $3,444, according to an estimate by uh, Sarah uh, Tabatabe, a former researcher at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. But the hospital charges the private insurer, Blue Cross Blue Shield, more than seven times that price, $25,425, according to a price list that hospitals are required to publish. So what that amounts to is nearly $22,000 in profit on a single vial, and adults need two vials per treatment. So that is nearly $45,000 thousand dollars in pure profit uh through two vials of medicine for a cancer treatment that is how richmond community hospital how bond mccores has managed to turn out this hospital into the most profitable hospital in the entire state of virginia while not even having a fucking icu while not having specialists while not having access to 
working diagnostic machinery uh, or in or medical uh, tools. You know, this is exactly how, uh, thanks to this program, Bonsecours has managed to do this, and they are not alone, right? They are not alone in this. Um, in 2019, and this gets to Jeremy's point that this is coming for you, you know, for for all of us, uh, you know, even you know whether you live in Richmond or or where or whatever, um, because it already has. Because in, in 2014. Uh, more than 2,500 nonprofit and government-owned hospitals participated in this drug buying program, um, or more than half of all the hospitals in the country, right? Now, does that mean that more than half of all the hospitals in this, you know, great country of the U.S. of A. are serving low-income communities and thus uh, 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 eligible for this federal drug-buying program? Were that it were so, were that it only were so, instead what's happened is that, as the New York Times uh, writes, starting in the mid-2000s, big hospital chains figured out how to supercharge the program. The basic idea is this, build clinics in wealthier neighborhoods where patients with generous private insurance could receive expensive drugs, but on paper, make the clinics extensions of poor hospitals to take advantage of 340B, right? And so since 2013, Bon Secours has opened nine such satellite clinics in wealthier parts of the Richmond area, according to federal records. Even though the outposts are miles from Richmond community, they are legally structured as subsidiaries of the hospital, which entitles them to buy drugs at the discounted rate. The Bon Secours Cancer Institute at St. Mary's, for example, administers cancer drugs to patients in an office suite on the tree-lined campus of St. Mary's Hospital. And so this is this is what's happening, right? Is that and St. Mary's is is one of Bon Secours like primo flagship luxury hospital complexes, right? They talk about how, you know, there are golf carts to take patients from the hospital's front doors to their uh, to the parking lot because the, the campus is so big. Uh, and, you know, and yet they are taking advantage of this federal uh, drug program, right? That this... This, this is this is this is where profit is coming from. Not through innovations in healthcare, not through doing healthcare, but through price arbitrage, through financial price arbitrage of a federal drug buying program. Right? It, this this is uh, this is the 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 profit made off of the surplus, right? And the state's role in that. Uh, you know, through creating this program, uh, you know, even though it's naked th that, that this is being taken advantage of, this is not a mystery. Everyone knows this is how it happens, but there is absolutely no auditing, no requirements, uh, at the government level that oversees, um, how clinics, and hospitals use this program. There is also, even though 
the program was supposedly created with the intention of allowing hospitals to reinvest their their uh, you know windfall profits from these uh, discounted drugs back into the uh, low income communities. There are no requirements or audits or, or or paper trails of how they spend the money they make from this program. So they can do what Bon Secours is doing, which is absolutely strip mine uh, Richmond Community Hospital, use its legal status as a hospital in a low-income community as eligibility for a federal drug buying program that they can then use to buy drugs at steep discounted prices while charging their primo wealthy private patients, uh, you know, full price for those drugs and pocket that difference while also reinvesting those profits, not into, uh, the, the surrounding, uh, you know, neighborhood at Richmond community or anything like that. No, into, uh, building and branding a training center for the Washington football team, uh, for uh, building uh, premium condos and luxury real estate development uh, through all of these other activities that have absolutely fucking nothing to do with giving health care to anybody, let alone giving health care to low-income, poor, black, you know, surplus populations. Uh, I, I need some beta blockers. I'm, I'm handing it over to Ed real quick while I go wrestle <laughs> up something for my blood pressure. So now you might be asking, dear listener, where is the money going? I'm glad you asked. That's our our next section, which is going to be a lovely one. On a sunny October day in Richmond in 2012, two cheerleaders for Washington's National Football League team smiled for cameras as they gripped a large sign between them. Bon Secure's training center read the sign, which combined the Bon Secure's Fleur de Lis logo with the bust of a Native American, the football team's logo at the time. Florida Lee. I got I gotta say Florida as as New Jeremy and I in New Orleans Orleans are New Orleanians (laughs) and we got we got Florida Lee. (laughs) Florida Lee. I'll remember it. This the team, Bon Secures, and the state of Virginia were unveiling a major economic deal that would bring forty million dollars to Richmond, add two hundred jobs, and keep the Washington team, now known as the commanders, in the state for summer training. The deal had three main parts. Bond Secures would get naming rights and help the team build a training camp and medical offices on a lot next to Richmond Science Museum. The city would lease Bond Secures a prime piece of real estate that the chain had long coveted for $5,000 a year. The parcel was on the city's west side, next to St. Mary's, where Bond Secures wanted to build medical offices and a nursing school. Finally, the nonprofit's executives promised city leaders that they would build 25,000 square foot medical office building next to Richmond Community Hospital. Bonsecure said it would hire 75 local workers and build a fitness center. 
It was going to be a quick timetable, but I think we can accomplish it, the mayor said at the time. Dwight C. Jones said at a news conference. Today, physical therapy and doctor's offices overlook the football uh, field at the training center. On the west side of Richmond, Bonsecures dropped its plan to build a nursing school. Instead, it worked with a real estate developer to build luxury apartments on the site and delayed its plans to build medical offices. Residents at the Crest at West Hampton Commons, part of the $73 million project, can swim in a saltwater pool and work out on a communal, on communal Peloton bicycles. On the ground floor, an upscale Mexican restaurant serves cucumber jalapeno margaritas and a dry bar offers salon blowouts. The land next to Richmond Community Hospital, by contrast, remained inactive until February of this year when Bon Secures broke ground on the complex. Former executives at the chain said a series of management changes in Bon Secures Richmond region, coupled with a change in mayor administrations, had distracted attention from the project. And a merger with an Ohio hospital chain in 2018 accelerated the push for higher revenues, according to former administrators and doctors. So they just shifted from being, as they say, mission-oriented to being unashamedly, unabashedly profit-oriented, said Dr. Jones, the former mayor who helped broker the original deal. So since 2018, Bonsecure said that it has spent more than $19 million supporting organizations and initiatives through Metropolitan Richmond, including more than $8 million on local businesses and charities in the East End. The work near Richmond Community Center is projected to be finished by the end of this year. Hospital executives have said they plan to house mental health, hospices, and other services there. What did they do with the money? They fucked over everyone and they were able to lease out a parcel of prime real estate for $5,000 a year and turn it into a $73 million luxury real estate project. But, 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 but Ed, according to... Uh, Which is health and wellness and for some people. Uh, uh, but, but Ed, according to a spokesperson, a spokeswoman for Bon Secours, quote, our mission is clear to extend the compassionate ministry of Jesus by improving the health and well-being of our communities and bring good help to those in need, especially people who are poor, dying, and underserved. It is easier to are pass. Are you saying she's lying? It is easier to pass a needle through the eye of a camel than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I like <laughs> pass a needle through the eye of a camel. I think you flipped that. <laughs> uh, did I? Did I flip that? Pass a camel through the eye pass of a, a needle. Pass a camel through the uh, eye okay. of a needle. I, I had that at first and I was like, hmm, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it is also easier to pass a needle through the eye of a camel as, right. as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> When when did we when did we get the Jesus capitalism crossover? When was that? When did that really come to play? Baby, that's been there. That's, mm. that's the Protestants were busy at work with that one. Um, uh, the Catholics are, are were new to the game, you know, but you know they had more money, so they did much more wonderful and ambitious <laughs> things with it. <laughs> and, and that's the theology 101 uh, on team K. yeah you know yeah the uh, protestants were a newer sect of christianity and more more scrappy but it was the catholics it was the old guard that upended um the old sort of hegemonic influence that these people might have had on capitalist work ethic and now look at them catholics have billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars around the world in land and jewels and art and buildings 
and bribes. I don't know. You know, like all sorts of things. Oh, I mean, they got buku ass lawsuits. They got to settle too. Oh yeah. So, I mean, They'll figure out how to handle that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the East End, right, which is where Richmond Community Hospital is, and it's, you know, home to uh, Richmond's largest black population. Uh, you know, they they only just got their first supermarket in 2019. So, you know, the, the, the uh, what, what, you want, you want them to have a functioning ICU before they have a supermarket? Uh, come on, priorities here. Fuck, that is maddening. That's like the convenience stores and urgent care is what Mm -hmm. probably serves that community. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, death panel, right? Artie and B's, uh, the podcast they co-host with, with, with some other people, they just did an episode about the, you know, social determinants of health. Right. And, and so, you know, it, it, you know, it gets, this is again, definition of surplus population, right? As you get people from all ends, right? Like you prevent them from being able to eat, you know, good food. They can only eat fast food, junk food, you know, gas station food, you know, uh, so, so their health is already, you know, overdetermined to be fucked. And then when inevitably something goes wrong and they need some health care, uh, you know, there's not, there's not a clinic there that knows how to serve them or as Bonsacors routinely says when, you know, the, uh, the inability of Richmond Community Hospital, uh, to service people because of the lack of doctors, specialists, machinery, tools, uh, you know, basic necessities of running a clinic, let alone a hospital. What they routinely say is, well, people are only an ambulance arrive right away from a fully functioning serviceable hospital, uh, in, you know, in a different part of Richmond. They routinely say that, right? You're only, and they're only an ambulance right away. However, as the New York times article points out through this, you know, interviews with doctors and nurses who work, worked at or work at Richmond community, there are countless cases where, uh, patients would present with an ailment that needs treatment, which they're unable to provide at Richmond community. And so they would call up like, you know, St. Mary's, you know, or one of the, one of Bon Secours other major hospitals in, in, in the city and would either have to wait for hours as they try to negotiate with that hospital to take this patient um, or would be turned away saying we don't have space for your patient, right? Which, you know, and when, when we're talking about an emergency, hours is literally can be the line between life and death, between life and uh, uh, long lasting disability. Uh, you know, that, that's that, you know, minutes, let alone hours, you know, matter a lot. Um, and, and so, you know, again, what this shows again and again is a, a willful abandonment by Bon Secours of this population of, uh, of people, while also a willful extraction um, of them through acetizing their, fi- their poverty uh, and, you know, to take advantage of a, of a federal program, right? Like, man, it, it's like every single fucking detail that's added on top of this story is as if 
you were trying to write the most extreme worst case uh, scenario of, you know, extractive abandonment and the production of surplus populations, right? It's like, buddy, we don't need an argument for health communism. The capitalists keep making that argument every single day they exist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear you on that. And it's just, you know, it is really, it's, this is also only one part of the New York, New York times little investigation into these hospitals, which are pocketing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions, um, and reinvesting it in, in, in schemes and infrastructure that just enriches themselves uh, and preserves, like we've been talking about here, preserves a part of the population to be hurt. You know, I, I, I think about early on in the text, and I've been, and I just started reading this book, Right to Maim. You know, one of the early moments that goes, you know, in my head that clicks is talking about how articulating something we kind of understand where we, like, we understand that there are certain things that are made. There are certain technical systems and technologies, for example, who their sole purpose is not really to solve a problem, but to keep you you know, buying the product because the, they're not going to actually address the core underlying problem or because underlying addressing the core underlying problem requires a shift in a political economy or in how industry operates that they're just not interested in pursuing, right? There's, it's not profitable. They're not going to zero out their profits. You know, it can be as simple as there's no reason for them to really make, you know, certain devices and certain products uh, last longer, right? Because if they make it obsolete over a certain product cycle, right, X amount of years, you're going to still buy it. Or they can calculate within reasonable certainty that a bunch of people are going to buy these things again, right? And so goes on every year, every two years, every three years, no matter what, you still buy it at the upfront cost, or maybe you rebuy it on a reseller market and so on and so forth. So the cost of zeroing out that market and just, you know, producing something that doesn't go obsolete is much greater than having you buy in a constantly, constantly, constantly. And this scales up with all sorts of technology. So we understand that in the technical sense. And then to hear the introduction to the ideas and right to maim in health communism in the first uh, three chapters um and talk about how they're just they're also institutions financial institutions and one reason they don't talk about healthcare insurers is because they're financial institutions but they're just institutions who they're constructed around the idea of really nothing more than the getting and 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 jockeying for the right to keep her harming you right and maiming you um and creating a whole sort of industry that deals with people who are maimed and hurt by it right their transportation uh, right, their their reproduction, uh, feeding them, uh, providing products for them, uh, you know, uh, figuring out where to f- ch- uh, channel them in other labor markets, labor markets, you know, um, and again hurting them. Right, they're all they're massive cottage cottages of industries, billions and billions and billions of dollars invested in this, and there's no reason to zero it out, even if we understand that, you know. Zeroing out would improve things for everybody because it's too profitable, right? Um, and and seeing that exactly, you know, with this hospital, there are a lot of hospitals where, you know, there's there there they are mission oriented, but they're mission oriented towards, you know, accruing as much profit as possible. And one really good way to do that is, 
You go into these healthcare, you go into these communities that wouldn't have gotten a lot of investment uh, in healthcare in the first place uh, because of how our system is set up. And they take advantage of that and they provide slightly more than the national average. I mean, in here, they pointed out that they were spending like eight, nine million dollars and that this is 2.6% of their expenses. And so that's slightly above the national average. And they can use that as a talking point. But in the grand scheme of things, they're using they're 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 spending that you know two point six percent after constructing an elaborate vehicle for transferring funds out of the community into their pockets, and then using their 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 filled up pockets to generate more vehicles for wealth transfer uh, for their wealthier clients, right? And then using all the money that they're getting from them to also create or you know do deals with the state that normalize, legalize uh, the instruments of vehicles, of uh, the vehicles for wealth extraction from both of these populations, right? By saying, well, look, you know, like uh, we're doing a training camp for the, for the Washington commanders, right? Uh, we're doing a nursing school and then being able and having enough money and influence and leverage to back out of those deals very brazenly and just make more Deals that have nothing to do with healthcare and have nothing to do with caring for a community. Where you're just building a fucking luxury real estate project on a plate. You know, it's just it's just such it's such deeply evil shit. Especially to see when this guy makes in a year what he's what the company's supposed to be spending, what the company spends on that community that it uses as the linchpin of its legal and financial structure to justify the three the 340B program. Um, you know, these people, um, they are, they're smart capitalists, but you know, you can be, you can be as smart as you want. Nothing's going to save you from the wrath from, you know, from justice in the end. All right. In this world, in this life, at least maybe you can avoid it, but I'm on your ass in the next one. It's, it's just, it's really infuriating, man. It's also because I think like sometimes reading stuff like this, it feels hopeless. Like what the fuck do you do? This is like a very, this is like just the New York Times is distilling and going through kind of somberly and also with, you know, enough quotes from these people to condemn it. A very, like a very elaborate, functional, well-oiled machine for just um, leaving everyone worse off so that like a bunch of executives can pad their pockets to greater and greater and greater and greater extents as the years go on. It does feel like that, you know, cause it's like, it's like I said in, uh, our, our episode would, would be in already where it's like, it feels like every so often we get these like spurts of attention, right? Like these kind of articles like this one, you know, the, the one in the New Yorker about private equity taking over nursing homes, you know, you know uh, the one in ProPublica about the hospital in Chicago South side with, you know, you know, deaths of neglect, uh, you know, piling up like we get little spurts at once of like you know all at once of these little of these like uh, of this attention on on this shit that's been going on for a very long time, um, and then like we like read about it, we rage about it, you know, uh, and, and then and then like what ha- like what changes? <laughs> what happens? Ah, uh, I hate that uh, you know. We put a moratorium on the doom pilled shit ages ago, right? Like <laughs> we do. You know, if we, we do. were really doom pilled, I would like, as I've said again, and we'll say again and again. Like, if I were really doom pilled, I'd read shit like this, and I would just walk out in traffic, and I would say, "Take me to Jesus," <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, because what's the point? But I don't do that. 
because there is a point. There's always a point, right? Uh, is that like, you know, we have to, you know, we have to do what we can to, to change this. And in, in this life, you know, knowing that, yeah, you know, this guy's, this guy, all these guys are going to hell in the next life. Uh, but in this life, we do got to do what we can to, to change it. Right. And, uh, um, you know, whether that is even just, you know, telling people this exists, you know, Jeremy, you know, slipping co- you know, copies of health communism, like Samzadat to people at the, the medical office he works at, you know, like, you know, like that's, you know, every, every little bit helps. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we, we, we can't, we can't lose hope and we can't lose sight in the face of, you know, frankly, just this ain't new, you know, like capitalists doing what capital does, uh, you know, well, the only, it ain't new. We are just confronting it and you know, every day, a nude, um, which is good. It should enrage us. Uh, it should, you know, send my blood pressure skyrocketing, um, because the moment it stops doing that is the moment that like we stop caring about, about this shit, you know? No, and we can't right. afford to stop caring. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely somebody's right. Got, somebody's got to do some kind of care work in this world because the Bon Secor sure as hell ain't fucking doing any. <laughs> well, I like to show their CEO uh, <clears throat> some love and care by giving him a real big hug, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's right. I want to smother him <laughs> with, the, with, the, yeah. with the mercy of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think that's it for this week. Uh, <laughs> just in general, <laughs> I'm packing it up, boys. <laughs> yeah. Um, any any good any good news <laughs> to, to close out with, or should we leave it there? <laughs> Thank you all uh, for listening. Thank you for your support of this uh, premium Patreon feed episode. Uh, much much appreciated as always uh, and we will catch you next week with more to come later adios